0: You're listening to Worktape, episode 72.
1: What's going on, everybody? It's another edition of the Worktape Podcast. It's your boy, Money Mitchell. We got Isaac Grover, and Grover once again. And last episode, we talked a bit about Paramore's recent tracks. Turn Off The News and This Is The why. being such a great return to form for the band. Both of us are extremely excited and eager to hear what the rest of that album is going to sound like based off of the strength of these singles. And honestly, I think that these singles have a real potential and possibility to really tear it up on the charts. Um, I know that they're brand new, but I do see them really having good chart success, especially with a lot of female-driven rock that's been happening nowadays. Of course, Paramore kind of returning back to their roots. um, Willow Smith, you know, kind of being more in the rock arena as well.
0: Olivia Rodrigo. Who
1: ripped off Paramore.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but was I the only one that I felt that I heard only in the chord progression, but I didn't really hear it melodically?
1: Uh, I heard it in the chorus. The chorus, I heard
0: it. I heard it. I mean, it. I don't know. It's you know, it's weird. I, I'm typically the one to call out overly similar songs, but I kind of felt like, I don't know, maybe my mind could just separate it pretty well. <laughs> Were
1: you one of the people that felt like it was more homage than kind of like straight up ripping off? So it wasn't I think like. So. A,
0: I think so.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it wasn't like a blurred line situation where it kind of really did feel more like a straight rip in a way
0: no not to me not to me i won't lie because first off you can't copyright a chord progression and so and if you listen to it the progression's similar okay so i heard that melodically at least for me it felt different enough where my brain wasn't like drawing these aggressive comparisons between the two i could definitely hear it but i think my mind was like all right that's valid at least you know this is just my personal thing and right everyone heard it differently but um no i thought yeah and aside from that song which wasn't even my favorite one because i don't like good for you that much like i don't really care yeah but uh there were other great songs on the album that i thought were you know likable
1: oh yeah absolutely um the sour album overall was pretty solid with you know deja vu and you know driver's license was even one that kind of grew on me a little bit
2: yeah yeah
1: i didn't like it at first but it I eventually learned to like it.
0: I think Sour is overrated. I'm not going to lie. I think it's definitely overrated, but I did like it.
1: Yeah, I do like it as well. I'm very curious to hear actually what Olivia does next, to be honest with you.
0: Same, same.
1: Because I do think that, as we talked about even in the last episode, she wears her influences on her sleeve in regards to Paramore, in regards to Billie
0: Eilish. Oh, so can I also say something? Because remember I talk about you know being critical about people who do that where the artist on the sleeve. Go ahead, yeah. First off, Olivia's younger, okay? Yeah. She's not some 30-year-old living in the past or 30 or 40-year-old. who's being like a has-been, but like a has-been of right. the people that they listen to or has-beens and it's like it's just corny. So she's younger. Number two, the people that she wears uh, her, you know, her music on a sleeve where she almost sounds just like them if you want to say that, at least these are artists from recent times. Yes. They're not like 30, 40 plus. Yes. And so I feel like that combination and the fact that it's her first album, it definitely takes her out of the derivative and unoriginal, by the way. I I actually do think that I like her more than even some of my favorite artists that I grew up now Hmm. because of her tendency to, I mean, she's new, right? Like I said, all those points, but then. You know, the artists that I've been listening to, when they do that, I feel like it's inexcusable. And again, like when I hear an artist reaching back, now some artists can reach back 30, 40 years and it's not necessarily a throwback and it's not them giving up. But most times when artists do that, that is indicative of the fact that they are out of ideas. And so that's typically why I hate the throwback more than just the throwback itself is because typically it's like a fuel light, like, oh, I'm out of fuel. It's like indicating to me, yeah. okay, this guy's out of ideas. Sure. This lady does not have any new ideas. That's what I hear. And guess what happens? Typically, after one throwback album, it typically gives birth to a string of throwback albums. Sure. Thus, in my opinion, destroying their career. Now, it's good for the dollar. It's good for money. Of course. I'm not saying that the killers don't make a killing. But guess what happened? Once you do one throwback album, you typically don't go back. Typically. It's not always very few artists are able to throw back and then just continue on with like a fresh idea of the next albums. Mm-hmm. Very few artists can do that.
1: Yeah, I, I will say that the one exception to that rule could be actually, as we mentioned before.
0: And there are exceptions. Might be The Weeknd, actually. That's what I'm saying. I would say The Weeknd is in there. Like, I'm not really a big fan of his super thrillery, throwbacky sound, to be honest. But yeah, I think he's one of those exceptions where, yeah, he could do that. And then probably he'll do something completely fresh again. Yeah. But that's not the norm. (laughs) Yeah,
1: no, definitely not. And I think his recent trilogy
0: of albums is kind of indicative of that. And even his throwbacks, as much as I don't like them, are actually decent, right? So I can't knock on that.
1: Yeah, they're extremely well-crafted songs. And even with him doing the throwbacks on there with Blinding Lights and Save Your Tears being massive hit singles, with Blinding Lights being, as of right now, the most successful Billboard song in history, it surpassed a record that was held by The Twist for like 60 freaking years. So even with that, you still had elements of his original sound in there, too. That kind of moody, atmospheric, trap-influenced and too. And I think he's able to do a throwback, but have it not be sounding really corny. Like, it does sound updated. It sounds fresh. And I do think that like people are really going to be rocking with his stuff for a long time. I do think the man has made some classics, right? For sure. In regards to Paramore, though, yeah, so we talked about how Paramore were returning to what made them great in the first place with these recent singles. But then we also touched upon in the last episode how one way that you can tell a front man or front woman is by what they did outside of the band. And we talked a little bit about Haley Williams and her departure from Paramore, where she was more of a solo artist. And uh, basically, in my opinion, from my perspective, Haley Williams really took the Gwen Stefani route. There, was, there is a lot of similarities between how Gwen did it and how Haley did it in the sense that both of them came from bands that had a lot of critical acclaim. That had a fair amount of commercial viability as well as critical acclaim. Obviously, with Gwen Stefani being no doubt one of the prominent alternative and ska acts of the 90s. And then with Haley Williams going in from Paramore being one of the better rock outfits of the mid 2000s. And then both of them shifting over into full fledged pop territory. And really, with Gwen Stefani, I think that she really. Dove deep into that kind of solo pop territory so much to the point where I don't think she will ever really go back to doing kind of the no doubt thing.
0: I think that ship sailed quite a while back, but I mean, there's always a possibility.
1: I mean, yes, there is, of course. And I do think that she has released a couple of songs that are solo efforts where uh, there is kind of somewhat of a reggae slash straw influence, but for her to really jump back into the no doubt sound would kind of be jarring for people at this point, just because
0: what? it's been two decades, right? So what, you know?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And with her at this point, I mean, I think she's been around so long that like, I don't even think with her in terms of new music, it's not like she even really has much to prove at this point because, you know, she's gone the Vegas residency route. And, of course, she's on The Voice, too, so that's a thing. So anybody, you know, who goes on The Voice is kind of maybe not exactly, you know, at the complete peak prime of, like, their music creation, you know. Not to be completely discrediting to coaches who've been on there, but that's kind of the impression that I've got is from anybody who is on The Voice that the music creation kind of takes a little bit of a backseat in terms of, that whole
0: thing so uh no it definitely does not just a little bit
1: <laughs> yeah so it definitely takes a back seat but as i said there's just a ton of similarities in terms of these two women you know started up you know and had major importance in some of these you know great bands that are regarded by um their fans as well as just fans of music as some of the best bands of the 90s and 2000s respectively. And then branched out and did a lot of pop in the way of being a featured artist a lot of times on stuff. I mean, Haley Williams on Airplanes, for example, um, that's a song that you know is actually considered by a fair amount of people in our generation as somewhat of a modern day classic.
0: Yeah, I know it's still stuck in my head.
1: Yeah, I mean the chorus is just such an earworm, honestly. And then the rhymes and the production on that track is actually really solid too if only B.O.B. would have been able to kind of keep up that momentum of that track as well as the first album.
0: Yeah, he definitely kind of went into oblivion.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's still making music, and I think he's doing music more or less on his own terms in terms of being like uh, an independent. I don't think he's on a major label, and I think he did that you know, by choice. I don't think he did that in terms of being like, you know, blackballed by the industry or something like that. But still, he did have a little bit of a fall off in terms of how big that first album was, you know, had, you know, features from Bruno Mars, which no one really knew how big Bruno Mars was going to be at that time.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: And then, of course, you know, Haley Williams jumping on the hook of Airplanes 1 and 2, which 2 also got an Eminem feature, which at that time was still kind of a big deal. Eminem as of recent, Not exactly. Eminem feature doesn't hold quite the weight that it used to in the early 2010s. So, anyway, there's a lot of similarities, I think, between the two artists and between the two women in that respect. And it sounds like, anyway, that there was a fair amount of carryover in their fan bases in terms of people liking the stuff with the bands as well as the solo efforts. But then there were also people who just really did not like that at all. More in the case, I think, even of Haley Williams, more than even. Gwen Safani, that there was kind of a bit of some selling out going on in that respect. I mean, maybe people felt that way about Gwen too, especially because to go from kind of ska to, you know, full fledged pop with Pharrell at the production helm, you know, is kind of a huge departure. But I felt like with Haley Williams, there was kind of a little bit more, in some respects anyway, there was some disdain for her going solo. And her doing more of that kind of pop direction thing. And like some people were really happy to hear her on the hooks of these songs. But then there was a lot of OG Paramore fans that were like, eh, come on back,
0: you know? So, so I was one of those people. I mean, you know, it was a catchy song. It wasn't really my flavor. But the song isn't bad. Just, you know, I agree. I much would have rather, you know, follow up to Brand New Eyes, right? At the time.
1: Yeah. But I mean, I think that back to the whole idea of the solo, you know, kind of thing versus the stuff with the band. And of course, you mentioned Brandon Flowers, which I actually thought his desired effect album was pretty solid.
0: Yeah, I like that one.
1: I mean, I definitely agree with you that even on that record, I know he did one before it, too. That was a solo album as well. Mm -hmm. And I think the solo album before it wasn't really that great.
0: Now, Flamingo came out in 2010, but Crossfire was from uh, Desired Effect, or was it before?
1: No, I thought Crossfire was from Flamingo.
0: But Oh, no, no, it is. I think Crossfire is from Flamingo.
1: No, well, Crossfire is from Flamingo, I'm pretty sure.
0: Okay. Okay, I think you're right. It's been a while.
1: And then Desired Effect had like Can't Deny My Love, mm-hmm. Still Want You, had a lot of those other kinds of songs on it. I felt like the desired effect just had more passion. Like it was more of like a passion project.
0: Yeah, it did.
1: And can't On My Love actually, I think, is a really good song on that record. I think that has a lot of really interesting production. Um, and of course, Brandon's songwriting. I actually like Still Want You Too," although it is a little derivative of the chord progression that I hear, and it reminds me very much of Freedom by George Michael.
0: Ah, oh, okay. Okay.
1: And I can't really, it's hard for me to get over that, but I still like the idea of the song. I still like the production for the most part. And then actually, Brandon has some Kate Bush sounding stuff
0: on that record too. Oh, you're going to say it. So yeah, dude, exactly. Like um, Desired Effect has a lot of the Kate Bush sound. And it also had the throwback elements that M83 put in Midnight City. Yeah, because, I mean, that is an anomaly for me because it's definitely a homage to the 80s, but that song is so punchy and powerful. It really is probably one of my favorite songs of all time. I do love Midnight City. Oh, yeah. It's simple, it's catchy, and it's just... Oh, oh that song is great. Yeah. It's so, 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 so good. So I do love that track. But yeah, Desired Effect definitely plays off of stuff like that.
1: Oh, yeah. And like I said, I just feel like there was just a lot more passion behind it. And um, I mean, yeah, you could say... Some things along the lines of, oh, it's Brandon ripping off the cars.
0: No, and that's a thing. That's what I'm saying. A lot of throwbacks are devoid of passion because I hear right through. And I'm like, I don't hear passion in a lot of them. It's almost like they haven't figured out their own voice yet. Yeah. And I know I'm one to talk, but I'm like, no, like, I've heard you do, you know, stuff that sounded like you, but also you're strategically using your influences. And now I just kind of hear your influences. Mm hmm. So that just becomes disappointing, especially when you grow with an artist and you are passionate about an artist and what they are releasing. Yes. Yes, definitely. And I like Brandon. I think Brandon had great talent, you know? I mean, he still does. He's a very talented guy. I just think that he wastes time by trying to just do Americana, you know?
1: Oh, definitely.
0: Yeah. Personally, me personally. Now you could say, well, that's what he's best at. I mean, he's good at it. Mm -hmm. I never said he was bad at it. I just feel like, you know, again, like war on drugs is the same thing. Each of their songs sounds the exact same, dude. Like, where's the diversity? Where's the evolution? And that's what I hated about not all, by the way. There's a lot of 2010s rock that was amazing. Yeah. A lot of 2010s rock in the mainstream, not in the underground, but in the mainstream was so highly derivative. It really was disappointing for me and the comeuppance of my age, you know, to kind of come to this and I'm like, this is what we have. Right. You know, I had to dig to find artists that were innovating. Now, there are a few that were innovating and I didn't have to dig for. Royal Blood was one of those few rock bands that did not get attention off a throwback and just being unoriginal. Yes. So they're one of the few innovative rock bands of the mainstream 2010s rock era.
1: Yes, most definitely. I can't mention enough how much I recommend Royal Blood to people who are looking for a solid rock band in this day and age. Yes. And they are probably the first example that comes to my head especially if they're saying oh that you know rock is essentially dead or dying out I say no go ahead and listen to some royal blood and then come back to me. <laughs> right? <laughs> because especially that first album I mean just wow the fact that you had such a big sound coming from just two dudes and it was basically just a drummer and then the lead singer plays a bass. It's not even an electric guitar. It's a bass. Yeah. And the fact that it comes from just those two dudes is incredible.
0: And they do it live, too. They took a lot from, um, well, yes, they took some from Black Keys, but they obviously took a lot from White Stripes. And White Stripes, I felt, was definitely derivative of Led Zeppelin and ACDC. I wasn't big on White Stripes. I got to be honest. I like, I mean, he's a great, uh, Jack White's a great writer. I actually like the Recontours. Is it Recontours? We're contours, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, we contours. I did like that, like that's catchy, right? But, oh, of course, yeah, again, I think Royal Blood's a great example of a band, in my opinion, taking from some artists that I'm not that big on, yeah, and doing something really cool with it, you know. So, I liked them. I felt like, uh, who who was it? Oh, KG Elephant started out. I mean, they were a bit of a Pixies Nirvana ripoff, and I liked it. I won't lie, you know, I, I admit it, it was definitely a off of that time, but I thought it was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. but then they totally were like, okay, let's rip off like bands from the sixties. And I'm like, oh, here we go with this. Now they did do some pretty cool, edgy, new type rock sound stuff. Yeah. That wasn't stuffed with filler words. They did do a lot of um, cool stuff with that. So I think they got better. You know, do you think I pretty, I didn't like that. I thought it was, now that was one of the biggest rock albums of the 2010s, but I thought it was overrated, but that's just my opinion. But um, Royal Blood was innovating. Muse have always innovated, despite simulation theory. I've kind of like been like, eh, that was an okay record. But I loved Pressure. Muse have been there to innovate. I mean, Radiohead has always innovated. Sure. Coldplay have been there to evolve in their sound, even though I think sometimes they did it terribly. Yeah. At least Coldplay have never, ever done a throwback record.
1: No, no, they, no, they have not. No, Coldplay has always... Stuck pretty much to their guns in regards.
0: Yeah. Even when they're bad, at least they're doing something that's like pushing the envelope. I'm just being honest. I'm not saying they're pushing the envelope like Radiohead would push it and who could, right? Yeah. But I'm saying they're pushing the envelope. At least they're not like throwing in a towel like, oh, well, now we're just going to try to sound like your dad's music and try to win you guys over. <laughs> I mean, a lot of bands did those. In my opinion, it's pretty sad. Right. But I get it. If it's all about money, then fine, right? But don't think that The Pursuit of Money is really going to garner you some hardcore fans, right? You might lose the hardcore fans, and that's fine, you know, if that's what you want.
1: Yeah, even though with the case of Coldplay, the fact that Music of the Sphere has got an Album of the Year nomination, I'm a little upset with that.
0: I, I, okay, okay, wow, I, I did not know this. You didn't know <laughs> that? Okay,
1: yeah, the Grammy nominations came out, and uh, they nominated that for Album of the Year, which I'm not upset because it's Coldplay being nominated for Album of the Year. Definitely not. I'm just upset that they viewed that album as actually good enough to be album of the year. uh, Just because I felt like that was kind of a
0: big miss. It was such a flop, dude.
1: It was a huge swing and a miss. Now, granted, I understand that like, commercially it wasn't because they had that track with BTS. But
0: that's Coldplay. (laughs) Yeah. Everyday Life was definitely less of a flop. It was better.
1: Oh, yeah. And people were mad about that one being nominated for album of the year, too. But I'm like, at least that's a good <laughs> album.
0: Yeah, it's actually pretty good. It is pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's a good album. And you want to talk about like experimenting. Like, yeah, like Coldplay experimented heavy on that album. They had Arabesque, mm-hmm. which is a song that like is completely different than anything that they've done right before. It kind of like gypsy jazz elements. It's interesting. And like brass. And then there's even some gospel, too. They had a bit of a gospel influence on some of their tracks as well. They actually had one of the best Tiny Desks, too, when they did their Tiny Desk. And they did some songs from that album as well as some classics. But they had background singers. And uh, they had like kind of like gospel flavor. And it was, it was really cool to see Chris doing that. And actually, his style of playing and whatnot actually really works.
0: So I've always liked how Coldplay have never taken themselves to... I mean, I did kind of like them when they took themselves more seriously because I think they came up with better records.
2: of Blood, yeah.
0: Yeah, because when they're trying to have fun, I won't lie. I think they kind of make bad records when they're trying to have fun. But I will say there's a silver lining here. And maybe it's not necessarily the one I wanted, but it's a silver lining nonetheless. I do appreciate Coldplay's tendency to make things fun. Yes. And maybe people look like, oh, look at that cheesy smile, like just smack it off their face. I could see that too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't want to be negative about it. You know, I feel like, you know what? They enjoy what they do. And Coldplay are one of the greatest rock bands of all time. And I mean that. No matter what you say about them, I love them. I think they're an amazing band. They put at least four or five, really, in my opinion, at least, if you want to put down to the smallest number, they put out four solid records. Like, amazing. Absolutely. Yep. X and Y is a great record. I don't care what Mm -hmm. people say. Oh, I,
1: I love X and Y, too.
0: Yeah, they did it, you know, they did it. They don't need to, I mean, if they had finished after that, would it have been disappointing? Yeah, but there are many other greater bands that have put out two or three solid records, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So, like, the fact that they did like four, I think is amazing, and, you know, anything they do after that is like a bonus to me, and Ghost Stories was a bonus to me.
2: Yeah, no,
1: Ghost Stories is really solid. I think that that was an album that I felt got a bit
0: overhated, I think. We did not deserve that record. I thought it was a good record. I thought so, too. I thought it was really, really solid. Ghost Story's strength is its cohesion from track to track.
1: Yes, I agree with you. It completely sets a mood and atmosphere.
0: And sticks to it.
1: Yeah, and it encapsulates you in that atmosphere. Actually, to be honest with you, it reminded me of one of my favorite artists, Sade. The chill instrumentation even the way that Chris was singing on that record kind of evoked some Sade. So I don't know if she in particular was a huge influence or not. But obviously I don't know Chris personally. I can't just call him and say, Hey mate, did you, you know, rip from Sade? No, but that's what I heard out of it. But once again, back to the comparisons of the solo thing and kind of just wrapping this installment up as a whole. Yeah, with both Haley Willow and with when Stefani, Brandon Flowers, these front men and women of, you know, these highly respected, like highly venerated bands, you really do get a sense of how good they are based on kind of what they do outside of their band. And sometimes in some of these cases, it seems like the band is really a big driving force you mean you mentioned the brothers of paramore being kind of a big foundational oh next
0: one we will touch that on the next one because i'm loaded with that yeah yeah
1: and, and we're talking about you know the pharaoh brothers and how kind of their foundational you know rhythm sections and especially their drumming was you know very different than a lot of drumming at the time yep yep so this gives us a ton of information and a ton of hype into the next episode. And uh, so we're going to call it a wrap right here on this particular episode. But once again, it's your boy, Money Mitchell. We got Isaac Rubin Grover. What's up? This is the Workday Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy,
0: drink plenty of water, real die. Jam with y'all later. <laughs>